The Lord placed this individual that I relate to especially dearly, and you'll see as we get into the scriptures why. I'll point it out at that time, but as we have an opportunity to study the scriptures, it's not just for fathers. Today's Father's Day. It's a Father's Day message, but all of us are going to be able to apply what the scriptures have to say on this Father's Day as we get into this. Father's Day 2016, Acts chapter 6. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I just pray, Father, that you would speak to us as we have a desire to hear from you. Bless your word. Bless this time. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your spirit says to the church this morning. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. So we're going to look at Philip in the scriptures. He's mentioned in three different sections, all in the book of Acts. So we're going to read three different sections in the book of Acts. Then I'm going to come back and we're going to apply uh, just some things that I saw as I was reading through this section of Scripture of what an example uh, Philip was. If you know anything about the early church, the church of the apostles or the apostolic church of the first century, you know that God was able to turn the world right side up. It was said of them that the world, they had turned the world upside down. But really what they did was they turned the world right side up. The world was upside down. And the known gospel had gone into the known world in their time. And so they did something right. God used these individuals in the book of Acts. And so if we want to know how to be used by God, if we want to be individuals that are used by God in our world, wherever we're at, then we want to look at these individuals in the book of Acts to see how God used them. And so that's exactly what we're going to be looking at. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And so in this first section of Scripture, there's a problem in the early church. There's a different group of widows. One is the group that came from Jerusalem. The other ones are the Hellenists. They were more given over to the culture of that culture, and so they felt being neglected. They felt for whatever reason, they were being marginalized. And the solution that God gives them is pretty awesome. He's saying, okay, what we'll do is we'll take men from their region, leaders, individuals that are full of the Holy Spirit and are walking by faith, and we'll have them serve them so that they won't feel neglected. Well, out of this group of individuals that are selected, there's seven men. The first one named is... Stephen. Stephen would be the first martyr in the church. And also Stephen would just drop this incredible message in uh, later in the next chapter, actually, in Acts chapter 7. 
and uh, just an awesome message that he's just quoting verse after verse. And then, of course, uh, he would be martyred, and he would see Jesus standing at the right hand of God to receive him as he would die. But nonetheless, out of that list, we see the second person named is Philip. And what is the job? The job is simply to serve on tables. Doesn't seem like a big deal, but yet the qualification for that was men full of the Holy Spirit. Men that were faithful. And so, again, we're going to break down applications for all of this, but that gives us the first mention of Philip in the scriptures. Go ahead and turn with me now to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 40. We'll see the second time that Philip is mentioned in the scriptures, Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 26. This is Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go to the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away, and who will declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached, Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water... The Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. And so the second time we see Philip, believe it or not, just prior to this section of Scripture in Acts chapter 8, there was a revival taking place in Samaria. There was just big things happening, and... Philip has the discernment and the closeness to the Lord to be able to hear the voice of the Lord to be taken out of that revival and to go to the desert, a deserted place, if you will, a place where you think people and just things happening and the Holy Spirit's moving. And then he has the wherewithal to be able to hear the voice of the Lord to go to this place that is pretty much the opposite. Revival, things are shaking, everything's happening. Go to the desert. And he obeys. And when he goes to the desert, he finds this eunuch in his chariot coming. And he had come to Jerusalem to see if he could get closer to God and is leaving with nothing. But at least he has the scriptures and he's reading a section of the book of Isaiah. And in that section, he doesn't understand it. He doesn't get it. 
And so in his sensitivity, Philip hears the spirit of the Lord saying, get close to the chariot, run alongside of it. And then he's invited up. And the question that the eunuch has is, I don't understand who this is speaking of. Is is the prophet speaking of himself or of somebody else? And from that scripture, he expresses to him Jesus and he shares the gospel. He gives his life to the Lord. He sees uh, uh, some water and the eunuch says, hey, what hinders me from being baptized? He says, as long as you believe with all your heart, nothing's hindering you from baptism. They get out of the chariot, he baptizes them, and then the spirit takes them out, takes them away. And so, again, just a neat little account of Philip and his faithfulness. The last little vignette we'll look at is Acts chapter 21. Go ahead and turn with me to Acts chapter 21. We'll look at verses 8 and 9. And this is the last time in the scriptures that Philip is mentioned. And so we have three accounts. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Acts chapter, where were we, 8, verses 26 through 40. And finally, Acts chapter 21, verses 8 and 9. So Acts chapter 21, starting at verse 8, the Bible says, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four daughters who prophesied. And so this is why I find Philip um, just kin to my heart. He had four daughters. I have four daughters. My wife and I have four daughters. And so it's kind of neat that he has four daughters. And notice it says, and he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. He had godly girls in a godless society, and they were serving in ministry. And so just faithfulness to the end. By the way, this is 20 years later, 20 years after Acts chapter 6, where he was chosen to be able to wait and serve on tables. And so as I was reading through it, I knew that um, I wanted to just highlight Philip and, and being a father on Father's Day. I wanted to be able to pull from the scriptures uh, just some points. And I was thinking, I'll come up with seven, seven points. And so I start writing and I'm like, oh, I got more than seven. Okay, okay, I'll go 10. I'll go 10. And then, oh, there's one more. So 11, 11 points on Philip and why we can learn from him. So number one, if we were to go back to Acts chapter 6, we're just going to take them one at a time, but I'm not going to read every scripture. We're just going to look at the points that I was able to pull out. Number one, Acts chapter 6, verse 2, the Bible says, Then the twelve summoned the multitudes um, of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So number one, do not despise the day of small things. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, the Bible says exactly that. Zerubbabel is given a vision, and there's this candelabra, seven lampstands, right? Seven abilities where candles can be placed, and it's producing light supernaturally because it's not connected to anything. Where's the oil coming from? God is providing the oil supernaturally. And so it's a vision that God has given to Zerubbabel. And then he's going to go into not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And in, within the midst of that vision, he tells him, don't despise the day of small things. And so waiting on tables, you, you wouldn't think that's a real big deal. But yet you look at the qualifications for what they uh, said this. Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Because small things will lead to bigger things. 
And so God wants to see us faithful right where we're at. I always say this. I believe in it strongly. Blossom where you're planted. Bear fruit wherever God has placed you. Wherever you find yourself, be faithful right there. And watch God just continue to bless you. Because God will be a debtor to no man. There's not a person on the earth that will outgive God. He won't let you. And so in this small thing, it's not that waiting on tables was below the disciples or the apostles, but they knew what their priority was. They said, we must give ourselves to prayer and to the word of God. That was their priority. And if waiting on tables or serving food was taking them away from that priority, then they were going to seek out other men to come alongside and help them in the ministry. And so I, I'm thankful because this, of this section of Scripture for me because I know what my priorities are. My priorities are prayer and to study the Word of God. And then if I'm able to do anything else, then that falls in line under those two priorities. If I have no time to pray, pray and if I have no time to study the Word of God, then my priorities are out of order. So don't despise the days of small things. We make time for what is uh, for what is our priorities. Don't lose sight of that. You will make time for whatever is your priority. Don't mention that you don't have time to serve God. We're all given 24 hours in any given day. What are you doing with yours? Are you being faithful with what God has called you to? Are you taking your gifts and pouring them back into the kingdom of God for eternity? And so we make time for whatever is a priority for us. I'm amazed at something like Star Wars and the sacrifice that I see people will make. I'm amazed at a concert where people will stand in line from 3 a.m. to whatever time that ticket box opens up to be able to get tickets to their favorite whatever it is to be able to go to a concert. And I'm not opposed to that. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. But in contrast to that, those people in the church who will sacrifice incredible things for those types of things won't enter into a prayer room, won't show up to something to be able to serve, won't, because they're not being paid, do something. If overtime is offered at the job, people are there because overtime means more money. And so they're happy to be a part of that, happy to do that. And so we need to recognize that we will make time for whatever is a priority. And you might think serving tables is a small thing, but God was able to use Philip in a tremendous way because he showed himself to be faithful in something small. Number two, character matters. Notice verse three and what they pointed out. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And so a good reputation in the little epistle of Timothy, it says that if God is going to use us, we have to have a good reputation not only inside of the church, but outside as well. And so I think it's very important that our reputation follows us. God wants us to be integrated, to have integrity, that everywhere we go, we're the same. We don't put a different hat on different places that we go to. So at work, we're known for one thing. Or when we're with our friends, we're kind of a different character. We talk differently. Uh, the, the language that comes out of our mouth, would, if church people were around, they'd be embarrassed. We'd blush, right? No, we're the same everywhere. And so good reputation, inside and outside, full of the Holy Spirit. 
The only way we can be full of the Holy Spirit is if we're what? Emptied. Emptied of self. Emptied of the junk food that the world offers. And so there's a lot of good things. There's a lot of great things that are competing, vying for our attention. And we fill up on these good and great things and then we miss the best thing. We're not full of the Holy Spirit because we're full of everything else, full of the world. I remember this example that John Corson used in talking about being filled with the Spirit. And he said sometimes on his way home he'll pull into a McDonald's drive-thru and he'll order a Big Mac and supersized fries and give me the supersized drink. And then he, he's all, you know, eating that. And then he gets home and his wife has this wonderful spread just ready to serve dinner. And he looks at it and he's like, wow, it's my favorite. And she's like, well, you want some? He's like, well, I'll just take a little. Well, well why? Well, I'm not really that, that hungry. And he has to admit, I'm I'm not that hungry because I filled up on the junk food of the world. And now look at this wonderful spread that you have for me. And I feel bad, but I can't take it in. And I think sometimes that's how it is with us. We fill up on the world. We fill up on the things that the world has to offer. And how are we going to be full of the Holy Spirit if we're already filled? And so, Lord, empty me. Empty me of self. Empty me of these things that don't satisfy. This cotton candy fluff stuff that's out here so that you can fill me with your spirit. And then it says wisdom. Wisdom is more than knowledge. Knowledge is information. And a lot of people have information, but wisdom is the application of that knowledge, how to apply it. I believe wisdom is anointed common sense. And I've always said this, common sense is not common in the world today, is it? People are doing things that I just scratch my head. I wonder. I just heard it on the news with my wife on Friday. Another mother left her baby in the car, 95 degrees outside, windows up, the baby dies. Where is the wisdom? You don't do that. You don't do that today. You don't do that in this day and age. You don't leave animals in the car with the windows up. You don't leave children in the car with the windows up. It's not healthy. The temperature is going to rise. And so wisdom is extremely lacking in our world today, is it not? These individuals were... Good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit, and wisdom. Character matters. Number three, humility. Notice in chapter 6, verse 5, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip. Philip wasn't named first. Philip doesn't get much billing on his character or anything. It just says all of this stuff about uh, Stephen, and then it says, comma, and Philip. But you know what? He knew his place, and he was okay with that. And not everybody is named first, and not everybody has the title, and not everybody is going to be elevated to whatever it is we think we need to be. Why don't we be what God has made us to be? Why don't we live for his glory, for his name, for his kingdom, for eternity? And I think Philip understood that, and there was a humility there. He knew his part. He knew his place in the world. Are you okay not to be listed first? Or do you have to wait until you rise up to that position before you begin to serve? That's not how God works. He rewards faithfulness, and he calls us to be faithful in the little. And when we prove and show that we can be faithful with the little, then he blesses us with more. And as we continue to be faithful, he continues to raise us up 
and bless us with more. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? My kingdom, my palace, my riches, my wealth. Look at what I've done. And the prophet comes and says, yeah, this isn't a good vision. It's not a good vision that I had. Yeah, you're going to be humbled. You're going to be made low so that you know that God rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men so that your pride can be abased. And he ended up seven years, seven years like an ox eating grass in the front lawn of the palace. And then his senses came back and he says, and now I know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets it over the lowest of men. And so a humility is important to serve God. Number four, we need to be submissive. Notice verse six. He says, whom they set before the apostles and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. He submitted to the authority that God had set up within the church. Within the church, God has set up a structure, an order. I love the military for this. The military knows their place. Individuals that go to the military are stripped of self. They're stripped of their identity. That's why they cut their hair. That's why they do all of that. That's why they put them in a uniform. We are a unit. And within this unit, there's a ranking. And if it's a general or if it's a corporal or if it's a lieutenant or if it's a captain or if it's a private, first, second, third class, they know their place and they're willing to submit to that authority and that's why it works. If a private is trying to tell a general how to do what he needs to do, even though the private may have more smarts, more insight. No, 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 no. We fall under rank. We get in line. And so many people have a problem submitting within the church and that's why things aren't getting done the way they should. Number five. In verse 7, we read, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Number five, fruit will be the byproduct of God being glorified through your life. It's an inevitability. If God is glorified in your life, if you are putting God first, fruit will be the byproduct. To God be the glory. Again, it's not our name, it's not our kingdom, it's not our building, it's not, no, it's God and what God is desiring to do. And so as he did this, we see people came to faith and many priests were coming out. Moving on now to chapter 8, we continue with number 6, 8 verse 26 says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza this is desert. I love that last little line there, that last sentence. This is desert. I see the, the, I see the uh, revival in Samaria like, imagine with me, if you would, just torrents of water cascading down a waterfall and just, just falling on them. This Holy Spirit is just falling on them and people are getting saved and baptized and tongues and just all of this wonderful stuff. Samaritans? Samaritans? Wow, they're half-breeds. No, no, God is pouring out a revival in Samaria. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, the Bible says that you will be witnesses. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. 
And what does the church do? I want you to be my witness everywhere you go. And what does the church do? They huddle in Jerusalem. It's safe here. It's cool here. This is where we're going to hang out. And so what does God allow? He allows persecution. And what happens? They go to Judea, and then they go to Samaria. And they, then they go to the uttermost parts of the world, right? And God would get them to obey through persecution, through horrible things taking place. So there they are in Acts chapter 8 in Samaria. A revival is happening. Philip is part of it. He sees what's going on. Yeah, this is what I signed up for. I waited on tables a little while ago, but whoo, God's using me. There's a revival. And then the Holy Spirit taps on his shoulder and says, Psst, Philip, leave the torrents of rushing water that are just cascading down on you and go to the desert where it's dry and it's hot. And nobody's there. And nobody's going to see you. And it's just me and you. And what does Philip do? No! No, he doesn't do that. He obeys and he goes to the desert. And he sees this chariot. And the Holy Spirit tells him, hey, why don't you run up next to this chariot? And he's like, hey, dude, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just reading. I'm just reading Isaiah. And I don't even understand it. He's like, Dude, come up here. He pulls the chariot with a spinner, wee rims or something. I don't know. It's just, he's like, you know, pretty well off guy. But just through that obedience, he has ears to hear, feet to obey, and a willingness to leave a revival to go to the desert. And sometimes the things that God asks us to do, maybe they won't make sense to everybody. But are we close enough to the Lord to hear his voice, to know that he's speaking to us, to be able to say, aye, aye, captain, marching orders at hand, if that's what you're telling me to do, if that's where you're leading me, if that's where you're guiding me. Yeah, everybody in Samaria might not understand, but Lord, I hear you. You're telling me to go to the desert. History is said that this eunuch would go back to Africa, to Ethiopia, And through this man, that continent would be saved. Because Philip was obedient to leave a revival and share with this Ethiopian who would give his life to Christ, go back to the palace, Candace the queen, and everybody within the palace, he would begin to share the gospel. And that through that man's mission, people would get saved in Africa. And so we never know what God is doing. We never know what God wants to do. But a sensitivity, he had ears to hear And feet to obey. Number seven, we have to be willing to sweat. Notice verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet of Isaiah and said to him, do you understand what you're reading? He ran. Philip actually physically ran. I think one thing we lose sight of ministry, and I always say this, ministry is romantic for about that long. Uh, It's, it's, Oh, man, God, you call me to ministry? This is pretty cool, dude. Oh, give me a title and everything. I'm a deacon. Woo, right? And then after this long of being romantic, it becomes what? Work. Like everything else in life, it becomes work. It's hard. Consistency and persistency leads to success in any endeavor. Weight loss, diet, whatever, right? Consistency and persistency. Being consistent and persistent with what God has called us to inevitably will become work, and work is hard. 
we're lazy, we'd rather be doing something else, it's Sunday, it's my only day off, or whatever. We come up with a million reasons why we don't want to do it, but God is calling us to sweat. God is calling us to work. And I'm amazed again at how hard we'll work for the temporal as opposed to the eternal. I'm always just amazed at how much we're willing to do for trinkets, tinsel, shiny things that have very little value in the scope of eternity. So may we be very careful to understand that we need to be willing to sweat. In Ephesians, no, 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 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Bible says, if a man desires the position of a bishop, pastor, overseer, he desires a good work. It's work. Fun for a little while, but it takes prayer, studying the word, consistent in what God is calling us to. And so we got to be willing to sweat. Can you ask a question? I wrote with this same verse here. Too many try to prescribe without knowing the diagnosis. Let me read you that verse again. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet of Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? He asked a question. I think so often we want to hurry up and tell people what we think they need to hear and we're not even willing to ask a question to get behind their head to see where they're at. We're willing to prescribe prior to diagnosis. How do you know what somebody's struggling with? How do you know if somebody needs a rebuke or a correction or a word of encouragement? They've been beat up so much by religion. They've been, they've been marginalized so much by the church. They've been just ostracized and abused. And, and then you're going to come and just, bam, slam them with something. How do you know they don't need just a, lo- a loving arm just to hug them, just to be with them, just to bring them in close, just to listen to them? And so he asks this question, and from that question then, he's able to give him an answer. And and I think we are too quick to want to hurry up and talk before we listen. To be genuinely interested in somebody, I think, is to have a dialogue. To actually talk to people and to listen to what they're saying. And then have a conversation based on the information that you're listening to. Not hurry up to just tell somebody what you think you need to tell them. I think too many Christians are talking and not enough are listening. And not enough are genuinely interested in hearing from the heart of the person. And how will you know that unless you spend time with people? You won't. We want to be Facebook, just quick little boom, 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 blah, boom, boom. Done. Done with you. Done. I can do my thing now. It's a detriment to the gospel. It's a detriment to how God wants to use us to actually be intertwined, to be involved, intricately involved in people's lives. That's what God wants because that's what God cares about. Number eight, open your mouth. Look at verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture preached Jesus Christ to him. After we've talked to people, then we need to open our mouths. So on one end, sometimes we just want to talk, 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 talk. On the other end, some people don't want to talk. Well, I'll just listen. I'll just listen forever. At some point, we got to give Jesus to them. Number nine, follow up and follow through. Notice verse 37, what 
Philip tells him. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. So there was a follow-up, and there was a follow-through. After he listened to him, he did something about it. Oh, yeah. All right, then, yeah, you can be baptized. Let's do this. And so follow-up and follow-through. Number 10, notice verse 40, the last uh, verse in that section of chapter 8. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. You're not done until the Lord calls you home. Don't tell me what the Lord did through you years ago. The Lord is always working everywhere. I think it's awesome that God has done awesome things in Southern California through Calvary Chapel. But we act as if God's done doing things. The Jesus movement of the 70s and the late 60s and oh, now it's gone. Now it's done. No, like God left his throne. Like the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power to pour out? No. God is still doing things. If people are open and willing to continue to be used, Philip doesn't stop with the eunuch. He doesn't stop with Samaria and the revival. He's on his way somewhere else, and God opens another door of ministry opportunity for him. And what does he do? He walks through the door, and he continues to preach Jesus. He continues to be faithful wherever God has him. And I think that's an important thing for us. We're not done until the Lord calls us home. Continue to be open to be used by God. The last thing out of my 1 through 11, I'll give you the 1 through 10 once again. Number one, do not despise the day of small things. Number two, character matters. Number three, humility is important. Number four, be submissive to your leaders. Number five, fruit will be the byproduct of God being glorified through your life. Number six, You have to have ears to hear, feet to obey, and a willingness to leave if God calls you to the desert. Number seven, you have to be willing to sweat. Number eight, open your mouth and preach Jesus. Number nine, follow up and follow through. Number 10, you're not done until God calls you home. And then finally, number 11, in Acts chapter 21, the last verse there says, Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. Twenty years later, we find Philip. And what is he doing? Faithful at home. Faithful with his family. Faithful doing what God had called him to do. Maybe it wasn't on a stage. Maybe it wasn't under lights with a microphone. Maybe it wasn't in front of people. But when he went home, when he shut the door, him and his wife had to have an influence in their kids' lives to be able to have Four daughters that are walking in purity, serving God in ministry. That doesn't come by accident. A godly man was able to have a byproduct of a godly family because he did something. He poured into them. I see people who are very good in the church and horrible at home. I see some people who are phenomenal at home and can't serve in the church. This individual was faithful in ministry that God had called him to outside of his home, but he didn't put his cap down when he walked through the door at home. And I think it comes down to uh, being like yielded and surrendered to the Holy Spirit. It's walking in the Spirit. It's allowing the Spirit to guide you and lead you. And it's not like, I don't know, we can't like let our guards down because now we go home. Oh my gosh, the world is crazy. Whoo! Yeah, God used me out there and now I come home and 
I'm going to take my Holy Spirit hat off, and I'm going to walk in the flesh while I'm under my roof. And I'm going to just freaking fracking here, and I'm going to throw up on everybody, and everybody's going to be mad. Dad has a chip on his shoulder. No, he didn't do that. He was faithful in ministry, but then he went home, and he walked in the Spirit. And he was faithful at home, faithful to the end. 20 years later, we see a man that God was able to use throughout his entire life of knowing God because he was surrendered to God. Amen? It's a good dad. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the example of individuals, Lord, individuals like us, individuals with weaknesses, individuals with frailties, individuals with insecurities, individuals that struggle with pride. And yet, Lord, we see that you are able to use individuals that are surrendered to you. And so, Father, we thank you for the example of Philip, We thank you, Lord, that you were able to use him and then document the way you used him and we're able to pick up these insights, Father. And so we thank you. We know, Lord, that it was you doing a work in and through him. And so, Lord, it is our desire that you would do that same thing. No matter where we find ourselves today, Lord, we have an ability to be able to be surrendered to you, yielded to you, allowing you to fill us, speak through us and use us for your glory. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we just pray that you would continue to have your hand upon our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.